Zechariah. This is our second message in our study through this great book, the book of Zechariah. Um, in an evening service down the road, I'm going to do some more on the history, and we'll put a chart up, and so you, we'll, it'll tie some of it together for you. But uh, I, I wanted to dive into the text more today. The book of Zechariah um, is interesting. If you look at the book of Haggai and Zechariah, uh, Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries. Ha- Zechariah started preaching two months after Haggai did, literally two months. And what had happened was the children of Israel had, had been taken into captivity because they hadn't been faithful to the Word of God. God had told them to let the land rest every 70 years. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Now, we understand about crop rotations now, how important that is. And God had told them, you've got to let the land rest, and the sabbatical year, and they didn't do it. They didn't do it. So after so many years, God said, all right, for every year that you have neglected the Sabbath year, the, 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 this, this year of rest for the land, I'm going to put you into captivity. And so the Babylonians came and carried them away into captivity for 70 years. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Holocaust? You've heard of the Holocaust. This 70 years was far worse than the Holocaust. Far, far worse than the Holocaust. 70 years, but God was faithful. And so after those 70 years of judgment and captivity, He allowed the people to come back into the land, and the first thing that they were to do was to build the temple, to rebuild the temple. And so they came back into the land, and they began by building the altar of God and worshiping God. And what is a great thing was they built the altar of God before they built the building for the altar of God, because worship was much more important than the building. And then they had trouble. And we know from the book of Ezra all the trouble that they had and the Samaritans fought against them. And remember who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans were those who were left in the land. They were the poor and the elderly among the Jews. And they intermarried with the the Palestinians and those that were in the land, those who had become to be known as that. And that became the Samaritan race. And so when the children of Israel, the Jews, came back into the land, the Samaritans fought against them. And they ended up where they could not... It became against the law to build the temple. Well, a few years later, God led Zerubbabel back and he led uh, Nehemiah back and they were able to come back and build the temple. They were allowed to build the temple. Joshua the priest and build the temple and yet they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And so Haggai comes and he preaches four sermons that challenge the people and so they begin building the temple again and now we have Zechariah. And what's Zechariah's job? Zechariah, his job is to challenge the people to continue to continue building the temple. But Zechariah is about much more than that. What Zechariah is going to do is it's going to introduce us to the faithfulness of God. How many of you believe God's faithful? And what's so amazing about this book is it's telling the people, look, God's not finished with Israel. I have a plan for you, but I want you to see the context of this plan. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 12. Now, we are not really in Zechariah 12 yet. That'll be, you know, a couple of years down the road probably. But look at Zechariah chapter 12 and look at verse 9. This will show you the, the scope of this book. And it shall come to pass in that day. Now, what is that day? When Jesus returns, is that right? 
So this is not only about going back into the land and building the temple. This is about the return of Christ. So Zechariah is the story of the nation of Israel from the restoration in the land all the way back to when the Messiah comes. That's what Zechariah includes. But look at what it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Who did they pierce? Jesus Christ. They're going to look on Jesus Christ. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadad-Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. So what are they going to do? They're going to see Jesus Christ, whom they have pierced. Folks, this is 500 years, 430 years before they pierced Jesus, that this is written. Can you imagine that? That's how supernatural this Bible is. And he told them, this is what you're going to do. And I want you to see something. Go to Zechariah 13. Look at verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. How about that? How about that? You know what's interesting to me? Israel, the Jews, they are so far removed from who Jesus Christ is that when they see Him, this, this lamb that they have slain, they're not even going to understand what all of those scars are from. And He's going to tell them, I received these scars in the house of my friends. You did this to me. And I still loved you. I'm still pouring out my grace. I'm still pouring out my mercy on you. How many of you think that Zechariah is going to be an interesting book? It's going to be a fascinating book. So now, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the introduction of the book, and it's chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. After we get through verses 1 through 6, we get into, there are, depends on how you divide it, either 8 or 10 visions that we'll look at, and that's in the first half of the book. And in the second half of the book are specific prophecies about the millennium and about the kingdom. But let's look at this introduction, and we're going to get the message of Zechariah in the introduction. So, Zechariah chapter 1, look at verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore saith thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, do you see any repetition there? What's the repetition? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. What's repetition in the Bible? It's God's volume control. This, this phrase, the Lord of hosts, is used 51 times in the book of Zechariah. Do you think God wants us to know that He's the Lord of hosts? And we'll look at that here in a minute. Um, look at what uh, this very interesting verse, verse 4. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers 
where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I, command, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. What an introduction, huh? Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word today. And Lord, I was amazed at how devotional this prophet is. So, Father, help us as we look at this, because we're going to see some things that we need in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into that introduction, I do want to show you one more thing. I want to show you the key verses here in the book of Zechariah. Look at verse, um, let's see, look at verse 15. The Bible says, uh, verse 14, And so the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they, they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. You see, that's a comforting message. That idea of the line being stretched across, across Jerusalem or upon Jerusalem, that's the idea of it being expanded. So Jerusalem is going to grow. It's going to be prosperous. Jesus is jealous for it, and he loves that land. That's the message of Zechariah. Now, how many of you think that God still loves Jerusalem? He still cares about it. That's what it's about. That's what this book is about. But now, let's get this message in the introduction. This message in the introduction. The first message, it's a message of anger. Look at what it says in verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Sore displeased with your fathers. He uses that word, that sore, that word sore, again in verse 15. Look at it again. I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. So what does that mean? Look at what he says. For I was but a little displeased, but now he's sore displeased. So what does that mean? It means greatly displeased. Ready for this? Violently displeased. That's, that's what it means. Uh, let me show you another example of, of where this word is used. Look at Daniel. Keep your place in Zechariah, of course. Look at Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. What's the best commentary on Scripture? Scripture. Look at the way that it's used here. Remember what happened. The king loved Daniel, right? He loved Daniel, but his followers trick him into putting Daniel into the lion's den. And that made the king mad. And look at what it says in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, what words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He was sore 
displeased with himself because of what he had been manipulated to do. Go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Look at verse 15. Now remember what Jesus has done. Jesus has come and He's healing the sick on the Sabbath day. He's healing the sick in the temple. Now wouldn't you think that if if the Messiah is there healing the sick, that the religious people would think that was a cool thing? How many of you think it would be really cool if Jesus Christ walked in here and healed you right now? Amen. That would be wonderful. Look what it says in verse... uh, In verse 12, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now look. The Pharisees, the priests in the temple, are are thieves. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he comes in and heals people. All right? So now look at how the chief priests responded. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. They were violently displeased. That's the the reaction that the Pharisees had to Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that that violent displeasure was the way that God looked at the nation of Israel. And we'll see in the book of Zechariah, he calls them the apple of his eye. They're the apple of his eye. And yet he was violently displeased with them. I want you to know something. God cares about his word. When God asks you to do something... He really does care whether you do it or not. So this this introduction to Zechariah, it's a message of anger. And God, what I think is very interesting, is here at the end of the captivity, He reminds the people that He was angry with them. Please don't think that I wasn't angry. I was. I was very sore displeased with you. It's a message of anger. But not only is it a message of anger, it's a message of repentance. This is one of the best definitions of repentance. How many of you have heard of the word repentance? Well, what does that mean? When when somebody repents, what does that mean? Well, we have the perfect definition of it here. Go back to Zechariah. Look at verse 3. Therefore say thou unto them, this is what God's telling Zechariah to say, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you saith the Lord of hosts. That's what repentance is. Repentance is, God's over here. I'm going this way. I need to turn to God. And God says this, if you will do that, if you'll turn to me, I'll turn to you. What a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful thing that is. That's what repentance is all about. How many of you have ever heard this? somebody say this? You need, to re- you need to invite Jesus into your life. How many of you have heard somebody say that? I want, you to find, I want you to show me that in the Bible. Where do you invite Jesus into your life? You understand that until you repent, Jesus is not interested in being in your life? Why? Because He's holy. He's righteous. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from your sin to the Savior. It's turning from sin 
to the Savior. Let's look at some verses in the Bible about how this works, this, this order, how it works. Go to James chapter 4 and verse 8. Repentance. Repentance simply is not taught anymore. Jesus wants to be your friend. Will you be Jesus' friend? It's like he's Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? That's not Jesus. Jesus is not wearing a zip-up sweater. Okay? How many of you remember a zip-up sweater? Remember that? He'd... Mr. McFeely would come from next door. And the trolley. Um, how many of you think I'm distracted right now? A little bit. James 4, look at verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You see, this, this message is a message of repentance, and Old Testament repentance and New Testament repentance are both repentance. It's turning from evil to God. That's what repentance is. This whole idea of Jesus loves you just the way that you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. There's no such thing as being saved without being changed. The idea of salvation is a, it's a rejection of the sin life and it's an acceptance of Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That's what salvation is. And I wonder if you've ever truly repented. You know, there have been a lot of people in the world who've prayed a prayer. You know, you have a big day and you bring a bunch of young people in. You say, you can't leave until you pray this prayer. That's not repentance. That's abracadabra, mag magic potion stuff. Repentance is an act of the will whereby the Holy Spirit convicts a person of their sin. They recognize their sin because of what God says about it. They recognize that they deserve hell and they repent of that sin, and they turn to Jesus Christ. That's repentance. That is repentance. Have you ever repented of your sin? That's the message. The message is we deserve to go to hell, folks. Every one of us. We deserve to be eternally separated from God in a Christless, horrible, burning hell. That's what we deserve. And Jesus Christ loved us so much, He died on the cross for us. And all He asks from us is repentance. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Repentance. Turning from your sin to God and faith in who Jesus Christ is. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message that he's telling Israel. Turn from your evil, turn back to me. Look at 2 Chronicles. I want you to see another illustration of this. Repentance. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles 15. Look at verse 1. 
Second Chronicles 15.1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you. Look at what it says. While ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Do you see that? Look, God's telling Israel, if you want me to be with you, I will be with you. If you want me to forsake you, I will forsake you. Now, you've heard me say this before. I heard a preacher say this years ago. God greases the skids in the way you're going. God greases the skids in the way you're going. What, 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 do, what do we mean by that? If you want to accept Him, He'll help you. If you want to reject Him, He'll help you. God's not going to beg you. God's going to offer you the free gift of eternal life. He's going to offer you that. If you don't want it, He'll give you eternal death. You say, Pastor Jim, I thought Zechariah was comforting. That's not comforting. Well, it is if you accept the gift. Here's the reality. Imagine that you have cancer. Some of you do. But imagine that you have cancer. And the doctor says, you have cancer. That's not comforting, is it? But we can remove it. We can remove it. And you can be okay. Is that comforting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Winston Churchill said, there's nothing so exhilarating as being shot at without effect. <laughs> Somebody shooting at you and not hitting you, he said, that's very exhilarating. I'd rather never experience that. Are you all with me on that? I don't necessarily want to experience that. But there's a real comfort that comes after. God says, look, you don't understand. You are swinging over hell on a banana peel. You need to understand that. But I want to save you. I want to save you. You need to repent. You really need to repent. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Have you ever repented of your sins? Have you, have you come to the Lord and said, Lord, I deserve hell. I don't want to live like that, but I can't do anything about it. I need you to save me. Some people get the idea that, that this concept of repentance is works. No, it's just the opposite of works. It's saying, I recognize I'm a sinner and I can't fix it. Please, Lord, change me. That's what repentance is. Isaiah chapter 55. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader, a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord. What's it say? While he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the right and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, 
and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's what God says. You need to turn away from the way that you have been thinking and come to me. That's what God says. That's what repentance is. Well, I think... Do you really think God cares what you think? Uh, I don't think a loving God would condemn anybody to hell. Well, that just demonstrates that you're a fool. Because God, God will do that. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Listen, if you've never repented, you're not going to be condemned. You're already condemned. You are this far away from spending an eternity in hell. Right now this far away, but you're also that far away from having an eternity in heaven based on the wonderful mercy and grace of God. Turn to Him. Turn to Him today if you haven't. I hope that you will. It's a message of anger. It's a message of repentance. What's interesting is this. I want to talk about this Lord of hosts. Notice at the end, go back to Zechariah. Zechariah. Uh, if you look at verse 3 again, Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. And we see that, that phrase, the Lord of hosts. What is that talking about? Well, it's talking about the Lord of hosts. A host is an army organized for battle. That's what a host is. It's an army organized for battle. There's another interesting thing about this Lord of hosts. That's the phrase that's used of Jesus Christ as He returns. That's the way that when He, when he is going to return. Go to the book of Jude. I'll, I'll show you something. Jude, second to the last book of the Old Testament. I'm sorry, second to the last book of the Bible. Verse 14, Jude, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. How about that? So who are the ten thousands of His saints, who are they? That's us. That's the host of heaven that He's going to return to this earth with to execute judgment. Go to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Look at verse one. I'm sorry, chapter one, verse seven. Look at verse six. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense pr tribulation to them that trouble you. To you and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, 
when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. That's who's coming. That's the one who... That is the Lord of hosts. So when you see this name, the Lord of hosts, over and over and over again in the book of Zechariah, that's what it's talking about. It's the one who's coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on the ungodly and on the wicked. That's not the effeminate Jesus that's portrayed in television and movies and in Reformation art. It's not. This is the Lord of hosts. That's who's speaking to us. That's the one who is angry. That's the one who's calling for us to repent. And I know someone here is thinking, Pastor, man, all that's true, but I sure like the grace of God. Man, you can't understand the grace of God until you understand His righteous anger. When you understand His righteous anger, that's when you understand how wonderful His grace is. You know, it's, it's like this. If... Um, here, let's do this. Where is, uh, where's Tony? Is Tony slight? Tony, come here for a minute. I know you're in the middle, but that's all right. Let's get Tony and um, Thelma. Come here for a minute. Y'all don't know this, but the Tony and uh, Thelma have the same personal trainer. Okay, Thelma, yeah. you get right here for me. Okay. All right, now, <coughs> Thelma's mad at me, and she's going to beat me up. <laughs> Tony's mad at me, and he's going to beat me up. If they, if they decide not to, all right, out of, out of mercy and grace, they decide not to. Which am I going to be more thankful for? I don't think that's hard to guess. <laughs> this or this? <laughs> Thelma, y'all don't understand how mean this woman is. Thank you, Thelma. Thank you, Tony. You're the bouncer. That's what they used to call me. I believe it. Is that awesome? So now, now imagine this. If Tony was going to hurt me, I'm going to be hurt all over. Okay? Thelma, I love you, but I'm really not that afraid. I know I should be, but I'm not. Understanding the nature of the pain that could be inflicted is wisdom. Is that right? That's wisdom. Understanding what the sore displeasure of God means is wisdom. We can't really understand His grace and mercy until we understand His anger. And until we understand what He is going to do, that's what repentance is. Repentance and the Lord of hosts. Repentance to the Lord of hosts. It's a message of anger. It's a message of repentance. Um, <coughs> Now, go back to, your te to our text in Zechariah. I want you to see something.
verse 3. Therefore say thou unto them. See that? And then at the end of verse 3, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah is like all true prophets of God and God-sent preachers. You see, the job of the preacher is not to tell you what you want to hear. The job of the, pre of the preacher is to tell you what God has said. I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> is that an understatement? My opinions aren't really that important. What's important is what God has said. What I think about the Bible really isn't that important. It's what God has said. So this message that God is sore displeased, this message calling to repentance, it's the message of whom? Whose, whose message is it? It's the Lord of hosts, right? The Lord of hosts. So this Lord, this, this one who's bringing armies ready for battle, He's the one telling you to repent. The job of the preacher, the job of the soul winner, the job of the discipler, the job of the, the Sunday school teacher is thus saith the Lord. The job of the godly father, the job of the godly mother is thus saith the Lord. It doesn't matter what the school says. It doesn't matter what the television says. It doesn't matter what the culture says. What's important is what has God said. We as believers ought to be communicating the eternal Word of God. That's our authority. That's our power. The transformative influence on the culture is not us. It's God's Word. Thus saith the Lord. That's the job of the Christian. Are you communicating God's Word to someone? Are you ashamed of God's Word? How are we supposed to be communicating God's Word? Boldly and clearly. That's what the prophet of God does. That's what we learn from the prophet of God. It's a message of anger. It's a message of repentance. It's a message from the Lord of hosts. And it's a message of contrasts. It's a message of contrasts. Very interesting verse. Look at verse 4. Be ye not as your fathers. Be ye not as your fathers. Why? Because their fathers rejected God and led them into 70 years of captivity. You know, what, you know what the message for you today is? Don't make the mistakes of your parents. Now, is the Bible clear about children obeying their parents? Yes. Children, listen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. How about this? It's the only command with promise that your days may be long upon the earth, that it may be well with thee, and your days may be long upon the earth. Aiden, why do you need to obey your dad? Because he could take you out. Right? Right. Yes. It's exactly right. Amen. And your mom's even meaner. She talks like this, but she carries a big stick. She really does. Now look, it is true. You know, uh, if someone broke into my house... I would do everything in my power to stop them before they could hurt my children. Amen? This is why we are armed. All right? I would do everything in my power. Somebody asked Laura one time, would you really shoot somebody that broke into your house? She said, a lot. 
Oh, she's an evil woman. It's true. Um, now, why would I do that? Because it's my job to protect my children. I, I want them to live long and be happy. Is that right? Well, you understand, you parents who have especially small children, that when that child looks up at you and says no, that you are at that moment in a fight for that child's life. If the Bible's true, how many of you believe the Bible's true? If the Bible's true, at that moment, you are in a fight for that child's life. And yet, and yet, there are people in their adulthood who don't serve the Lord because of their parents. When my father was a senior in high school, he got saved. And when he graduated, before he graduated, he, he told his parents that God had called him to preach and that he was going to go to Bible college. And his mother said, I won't have a son who's a moocher. And she wouldn't even go to his high school graduation. And I only saw my grandparents a couple of times in my life. Imagine if my father had said, okay, okay, mom and dad, you don't want me to serve the Lord. I won't. What would the result of that be? I probably would not have been saved. Raul certainly would not have been saved. All that, that man in Nicaragua would not be saved. All the people he's led the Lord throughout all these years would not be saved. But what my father said, what my father said was we must obey God and not men. Do you know the message that my father heard from the Word of God? Look at what it says. Be ye not as your fathers. You know, there are some lessons that your parents have taught you that if you're going to obey God, you're going to have to violate what your parents have wanted you to do. What did Jesus Christ say? Jesus said, I'm not, to come, I'm not come to bring peace, but a sword. He said, I am come to set at naught father and son, mother and daughter. Jesus Christ made it very clear that if you're going to follow him, you might have to go against your parents. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you parents want to be the person that your children would have to go against in order to serve the Lord? How many of you think that would be a bad place to be? I want to live such a life that my children have a desire to serve the Lord. What were parents to do in Israel? How were they to direct their children? Keep Zechariah, of course, but go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Very familiar passage, but I want us to look at this carefully. <clears throat> look at verse 3, Deuteronomy 6, 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now, of course, when we see that land flowing with milk and honey, I always think that it would be sticky. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. 
And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them. What's that next word? Diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Now, I want you to think about something. You dads, what you're supposed to be doing is you're supposed to be speaking the Bible to your children constantly. You're supposed to be talking about God constantly. You're to be referencing Scripture constantly. You say, how in the world can I do that? Well, if you love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then that's what's going to come out. That's what's going to come out. If that's what you love, that's what's going to come out. If you love God's Word, if God's Word is in your heart, if it's on your lips, if you have Scripture all around you, if your life is based on the Word of God, then that's what your children are going to grow up to know. It's so interesting when I see a little child in a, a Cleveland Browns jersey. I think that father is teaching that child how to be a loser. No. Um. <laughs> yes, Brent knew and Chad and Josh and loser. Um. No, it, it's somebody was telling me that they. I, I heard these guys talking on the airplane the other day, and he had been in uh, Green Bay, and he said, "If you walk into Walmart at Green Bay, literally everyone in the store has on a Packers shirt or some kind of regalia, okay, just covered in Packers stuff, which is that is satanic." <laughs> As a Bears fan, I happily say that. Um, and so what's happening is that father is is sharing what is important to him with his children. Is that right? That's what's going on. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what's more important, handing down that jersey and sharing football or sharing the Word of God? And I wonder how many of you men are as capable of speaking about the Word of God as you are of speaking about football. Those of you guys who love guns and, and hunting and all of those things, you're, you're very able to speak about these things. Are you as able to speak about the Word of God to your children? Are you able to do that? Those of you who have a career, if you ever want to be bored to tears, ask Ed Bermond what he does. <laughs> it's so funny. Ed will tell a joke about something that happened at work, and it's a joke about a spreadsheet. He saw this spreadsheet, and it was unbelievable. Wow, Ed. That's great. I love you, buddy. <laughs> Anthony, is it true? Yeah, it is. It's true. <laughs> Justin's in the same boat. That's right. These engineers. Uh, Stacy said that if you ask Harry what time it is, he'll tell you how the watch works. Is that right? In terms of this watch. Um, now, I wonder, those of us who have a career, if we're as capable of communicating to our children the truth of the Word of God as we are our career. 
the thing that we have invested in. What's more important, your career or the eternal Word of God? I think that all of us who are believers understand the Word of God is more important. Would you all agree with that? But have we invested the time and energy in speaking the Word of God? The same way that we have invested in these other issues, these other areas. Um, Annika. Where's Annika? Yesterday, Annika, she won at the teen talent competition uh, a missionary presentation. And the missionary that you were speaking of were the Corbleys, right? Well, where did she learn that? Well, her dad's interested in the Corbleys. He's, her dad's a historian, and he's done work on the Corbleys, and he had communicated that information to Annika, and that became important to Annika, and she won. Well, see, those things that are important to us, those things that are important to us ought to be the things of God. How awful would it be if you were the father that God said to your children, don't be like him. It's one of the most convicting things I've ever seen. That's what God had to tell the children of Israel. Don't be like your fathers. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.